This is really, for me, it's really a passion project. It's really, I call it a sustainable hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's the case for, for most of the entrepreneurs that are up there. It's really interesting. We're all women. Um, that was not, you know, that was not part of the, the design. <laughs> Pod BN. Three, two, one, here we go. From the Play Normal Esports Studio, this is Pod BN, talking to people doing big things in Bloomington Normal. I'm here today with Jennifer McDade, local artist, former council member, and downtown enthusiast. So first, you know, I got to talk a little bit about Little Beaver Brewery, our sponsor. Just put up their Facebook page here, and they've got a Quattro de Mayo parking lot party. So check this out. You got a little nerddom in here with May the 4th be with you. And it's a parking lot party to kick off summer. It's going to be at from 12 to 9, so nine hours of drinking beer outside with your friends. So those and tons of other events are posted on their Facebook page. Make sure to follow them. You get the news about the latest beers that they have out too. And stay plugged into these fun events that they have. All right. So Jennifer, thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So let's start off by just having people learn a little bit more about you, how long you've been in the community and what kind of things are you involved in? Great. So I came to Bloomington Normal almost 20 years ago and probably like a lot of your listeners, I wasn't sure how long I would be here Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty delighted to be here as long as I have been. Um, Bloomington is a great work, a great place to live, work, uh, raise a family. Um, I came here for work, um, and and I stayed for all of the other reasons, probably. So okay. you know, where did you grow up? I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Um, so not a, you know not too far from here. Went to undergrad in Monmouth, Illinois, and then. Lived a year or so in Champaign and then came to Bloomington. Okay. Um, worked for a couple of years, went back um, to grad school, went to ISU, so mm-hmm. I'm a Redbird, and went to the School of Communication there. And Yeah, that's how a lot of people get sucked in. Come to ISU, you, you come for the college and stay for the career. Absolutely. And the life. Yeah. yeah. So I, it's been an amazing, amazing 20 years, and I look forward to probably yeah. at least 20 more. Yeah. Are you... Um, so you, you you know came for the job, but you're not going to stay that long just for a job. So what are the kind of things that appealed to you, especially in contrasting with other places that you live? Absolutely. So I got involved really early on here. And when I say involved, I mean in you know local nonprofit work, boards, um, volunteer work. And I think that's been a really, it's been a big theme for me. It's been a big anchor for me here. And I think one of the things I love about this community is that there are so many opportunities to be involved. And it's really, you know, it's, it just really helped me to feel a sense of community um, in a place that I think it's, it's, it's easy to feel a sense of community yeah. here. You know, it's, it's easy to go and be out and about and see a lot of familiar faces here. And you just accelerate that process of being new here when you get involved right mm-hmm. away. So, you know, I got involved right away, um, even before I was out of grad school, did things like leadership in McLean County, did some local board work at Advocate Broman, and just then started just to build on that. And, um, you know, really have always had a professional aspect 
here, and then always had sort of a civic aspect or community aspect here, um, in addition to my family, of course. So, you know, it's a, it's a every parent I think here knows it's a, it's a, it's a pretty great place to raise a family. And um, I have two um, junior high students now. Okay, so they were so, born here. Yeah, they were born here and, okay. and been raised here. So, um, yeah, it's 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 home. You know, it's it's more home than anywhere I've ever been. And I think um, I delight at the fact that I can I could I can can walk to most places I really need to get. I can ride my bike to the to the next set of places I'd like to go, and then you know I can drive my car just about anywhere in ten minutes. I find yeah. me a place like that, right? Yeah, that's definitely not the case in the suburbs, right? No, that walkability factor. Yeah. Uh, do you think that it's harder to get involved civically in the in the suburbs? Is it, I guess are they just bigger and? Yeah, you know what I like about here was I think that you know you do a little bit of networking and things can just take off. I mean, I remember you know my first opportunity to be involved at Advocate Broman. I had just mentioned to somebody you know in passing really that I was looking to do a little bit more, and I don't think it was more than a couple of weeks. And my phone was ringing. You know, yeah. I was. 23 at the time, right? 24 maybe. So, you know, the fact that that also people are willing to involve you no matter your age or no matter your, you know, your background. I didn't grow up here and, you know, I'm not from here and I don't feel like that's been at all really a barrier to me um, in getting involved here. So what'd you do at Advocate Broman? So I was on their um, Broman Service Auxiliary Board for um, several years. What's that? I haven't heard of that before. Yeah, so it's a great it's a great group that raises money for for the hospital and okay um, and and so I was I was on that board for a couple of years and chaired that board and then I was on the Broman Foundation board um, as part of that and you know I I think one of the I, there was a lot about it that I really enjoyed. One of the experiences on that board that really stayed with me to today was we were at a strategic planning session and we were talking about, you know, healthcare in the community, you know, 30 or 50 years out, right? And I took a look around the room and just realized because of my age, I was probably, you know, one of the only people that luckily enough was probably going to Mm, be in this community in 30 or 50 years. So what it really left with me was the importance of getting people involved at all ages and being sure that, you know, our community boards are as representative as they can be yeah. of, of the community. So, um, but I felt, you know, really grateful for that experience. And I made a lot of great connections that I'm, you know, still able to um, see today at different events and, you know, get in contact with um, and talk about really important community issues with when they come up. Yeah. Yeah, I've said before on this podcast, but, um, you know, it's worth saying again, I feel like Bloomington Normal, we're just big enough to have real problems, Mm -hmm. but we're just small enough where you feel like you can actually maybe do something to help make a dent in it, you know? Absolutely. We can solve our own problems here, you know, and I think it's definitely a responsibility, right? Like we, we have to, we have to own that. We have to want that. Um, it has to be part of our vision for being in this community to take those things on. Um, and I think we have a lot of people here that are super committed. Yeah. And when you work together and you have a common purpose or a common goal, I think it's pretty amazing to see what we can accomplish. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay, so you were on the Broman board. Uh, you said leadership McLean County. Um, mm-hmm. What else is on your resume? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, I was. Um, I've done some other things. Um, done United Way a little bit. Once I started, once my kids were born, I've you know been involved in their um, activities as sure. a parent. And um, then in 2008, uh, I was contacted. Um, there was a, I was living in Ward 5 in Bloomington at the time, and I was contacted about um, an open council seat, and I decided to run for city council. So I was elected in 2009 and then reelected in 2013. Okay. And so that's a pretty different type of role in some ways. In other ways, it's not. In other ways, especially given that you basically don't get paid for it, it is a t- largely a type of community service. But it's also a very public position, right? Whereas a lot of boards and commissions you're going to be on are a lot more behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So what was your thought process going into that? Why did you decide that, that that was what you wanted to do at that time? Yeah, that's a great question. And my answer to that question today is probably the same as it was, you know, over 10 years ago when I was making that decision. And I, at that point in my life, I was teaching at Illinois State University. And I was teaching in the School of Communication. And I was teaching a lot of public speaking and communication courses, and I was also really involved on campus. Illinois State does a great job of civic engagement, really helping students not just prepare for professional careers, but really think about how to make an impact in the communities in which they'll live. And so I was really involved with those initiatives, firm believer in that. And um, serving on the council was really just an opportunity to model, you know, what I was working with students on in a classroom, I was seeing, you know, so much potential in students once they were really, you know, thinking about, you know, not just what they wanted to do for their careers, but the difference in the world that they wanted to make. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that at the end of the day, I believe that, you know, like I said earlier, that we do have um, a lot of opportunities here to to improve, continue to improve the quality of life for people here. And, and so it just felt like a natural continuation of that for me. Um, you know, certainly in elected um, office, whether it be locally or at the state level or at the national level, I believe that you can impact issues in a way that's, um, you know, it complements what you can do on a board, right, or it complements what you can do as a volunteer. Um, but these are kind of just all different ways of making an impact. So, you know, I decided to run because it was important to me to to model that. It was important to me to, um, to serve. And it was honestly one of the very best decisions that I've, that I've ever made. Okay. I learned more in the almost six years that I participated in it than I probably um, have learned in a number of other things that I've done. Yeah. Um, and Tell me more about that. What? Yeah. Uh, I mean, clearly you know more about the mechanics of how the city works, right? Right. So, right. Um, but what else, what else did you learn? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's a great question. So, I mean, to your point, definitely you, you know, I know, um, you know, I, I feel lucky to know how a police department and a fire department works, uh, mm-hmm. how our trash gets picked up, how we get our water, uh, what happens behind the scenes at um, the library, and, you know, what it just kind of, the, to your point, the inner workings um, of a city government. 
and um, really thinking about local issues from that perspective, thinking about a community like Bloomington Normal, right? Thinking about the unique opportunities that we have here as a community that has been relatively resistant to a lot of the economic pressures yeah. that have been felt across the state. And, oh, yeah, um, that was right during the financial crisis. Yeah, huh? yeah, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just really interesting, right, that you, you know, you saw, uh, you know, certainly there's been challenges, right? We're still talking about challenges today um, that the city faces in terms of revenues, right? But when you think about through a period of economic recession like the one that we experienced and you think about your um, the value of your property staying relatively flat, stable during that, mm-hmm. there were not a lot of communities really across the country for which that was the case. So we can step back and we can, you know, there's certainly things that we could have done better. There's certainly things to be critical of. But I think that there's just also kind of to balance that. Um, there's a lot of, for me, it, it brought me closer to, um, I'm probably a more positive person, a more supportive resident because of my time spent okay. on the council. Um, I'm more sh- sure that this is the right place for me and my family to live because of the time that I spent there. And, you know, and then there were just some really amazing, in addition to just getting that, like, wealth of what I've considered, you know, professional development, right? You're managing multi-million dollars in terms of budget. You're, you're understanding what it means to bargain with, you know, at that point in time, there was a dozen collective bargaining units across the city and understanding how to work out, mm-hmm. um, you know, how to negotiate fair agreements with a number of different employees, um, really understanding issues from multiple points of view. I mean, I, I would say, you know, it was an amazing education and yeah. the fact that, you know, it's it's fine to have your your opinion. It's fine to have an educated um, point of view. Um, but it definitely reinforces the fact that there are multiple dimensions to every issue. And if you really want to move forward, you've got to listen to people that think differently than you do and find common ground. Um, when I first got on the council, it was a great lesson in, you know, just kind of being new, you know. Um, I was a junior member in all sorts of ways. My age, my gender to some degree, Mm -hmm. my background in terms of not necessarily being, you know, from Bloomington or at that point not having been in the community for, for a really long time. And so it was a really good opportunity to sit back and listen and, and learn and, you know, be very mindful of, certainly I was, I spoke up when I had, um, you know, ideas to share. Um, also, I would say, you know, it's just a, an education in y- when you are working at that type of role, uh, you're there to balance, you know, you, you have to form your own personal opinion on something that I don't actually know that it's possible not to form a personal opinion on mm-hmm. something if you're educating yourself about it. But then you have to really step back and think about the common good. You know, I am, you know, anyone in a role like that, and when I was in a role like that, you're there to move the community forward. And sometimes you're going to move the community forward in a way that's very, um, very much in line with how you might see the issue on a personal level. And sometimes you're going to move the community forward in a way that doesn't necessarily fit at all. Yeah. With what you think. Can you think of an example that 
that comes to mind where you had to make that? Kind of putting you on the spot here. Yeah, I can't, you know what? Good examples stay with you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So there was a night, um, it really, I had not been on the council long. I bet we could look it up and find out. I bet it wasn't more than a month or two. And we were talking about property taxes. And we were talking about a property tax increase. Um, in fact, I think in the entire time I served on the council, it was it was actually just the first year that I was on the council that we were considering that. Mm -hmm. It was then after that flat for a number of years. And at that point in time, we sat, you know, the mayor had arranged us on the dais um, differently than the council sits today. Oh, how was that? I didn't know um, We were seated by kind of by numerically by words and then when they would start the vote they would start each week at a different point oh that's nice so yeah it was interesting right so because some weeks that meant that you voted very early some weeks yeah. you voted very late this was prior to the um kind of the fancy you know microphone voting that okay. that they have now and that they got in the later part that i was on the council so that's interesting because um, uh, jamie matthew who's in ward one alderman right now yeah he mentioned to me once whenever they do a straw poll it always starts with him. He has to go first. And he wishes that yeah. uh, he sometimes could get to hear other people's thoughts before he was the first one. Exactly. Sometimes he'll say something, and then everyone ends up just criticizing what he said. Like, right. Yeah, that's just because I went first. Exactly. That's just because I sit there, <laughs> can right? I, can I be I'm a ninth, number please? one, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're a, exactly right. It's interesting, right? And yeah. I was number five. Um, and so, you know, and like I said, you know, um, you know, I think, I, you know, I kind of started work uh, under one mayor and then continued under another mayor. So yeah. some of that's just everybody has their own style. But Was Stockton um, the mayor when you got elected? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Steve was the mayor the first two years I was on the council. Okay. So we sat, the odd ward number sat on one side and the even ward number sat on the other, is my recollection anyway. Okay. And then we rotated on, you know, who would begin the vote. Right. And so that night that I'm recalling in terms of really where your personal kind of where you're really just challenged to kind of weigh what you what you think on a personal level with what you think is the best for the city. And sometimes it's really hard, right, to take all the information in and say what's really best for the city right now, um, which I think it's important to note that that's all, and, and in my opinion, that's all all of our elected officials are ever trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. They might have different ways that that manifests itself, but I really do believe at the end of the day they're all doing what they think is the best thing for the community. So the property tax vote came up. It was an increase. And that night, I was the last vote. There were nine people on the council. When the vote reached me, there four were to four. four to four. Oh, great. And so I was the deciding vote to increase the property taxes. I was the number five yay vote on that topic. And as you can tell, I mean, that was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here telling you about it like it happened yesterday. Yeah. And so it was not an easy decision at that time. And I think that's a really good example of where, you know, you just have to step back and say, you know, if you're making this decision as a taxpayer, right, um, you might make... I would argue most of us would make a very different decision sure. as yeah, no a taxpayer, yeah. right, than you might make as an elected official that is, you know, is trying to help a city like ours thrive. And so that yeah, was a good example of that, I think. And given the fact that our finances have stabilized in the last 10 years, but it's still not like we have tons and tons of money coming into Bloomington. So uh, I suppose you could 
depending on your economic theory, I suppose, but most people would probably see, yeah, that extra income was, that extra revenue was probably what the city needed, right, in retrospect. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the the mix of, of you know, debits and credits. I mean, I think I also learned a lot about that. And, you know, you, you do learn a lot about, you know, what I, what I would say about that is we probably don't always appreciate how our dollars are allocated and what discretionary spending looks like. I think that there's a misnomer, a myth, mm-hmm. that a lot more spending is what we would call discretionary, you know. Yeah. Um, That's I, what I always ask people, not in a confrontational way, Yeah. but when there are people who want to say we need to cut spending and the finances are being mismanaged, I've looked at the budget very closely. I was on a task force that Diana Howman pulled together to try to analyze the budget one year, and it, it's shocking how you just can't find a ton of wiggle room. And so I always ask people, like, what specifically are you talking about? Because it's not a simple thing, right? Then you pull something like, oh, Sister Cities is a waste of money. Okay, that's like, you know, $10,000. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Like, we can do away with that. And um, I actually told Mayor Renner after there was all that controversy with him uh, and that that Japan trip one year and people, you know, objecting that as a waste of money. I I told him just for kicks he should line item veto that out of the budget, just like say it's wasteful spending and take away the, you know, the drop in the bucket that that is. Uh, But on the other hand, you look at the other side, the people who are using that money and the people who are passionate about that program and the relationship that we have with that country, and that $10,000 is huge to them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you know, you got to look at both sides of the equation, but people think that if you just simply got the budget out and looked at it, you could cut out, you know, five, $10 million out of it. And that's just not the case without feeling some real pain. Absolutely. You know, and pain that really, you know, when I, when I call the fire department, I, you know, I want them at my house in under six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when I call the police department, you know, I want them at my location and under mm-hmm. four, right? And so you want them to have good equipment. Absolutely, and, you know, absolutely. Yep. You want them to be safe, right? You want them to be ready. Um, you want to pay them well so that the best people come and stay in our community. Absolutely. And so once you start to really understand the the spending and 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 how some of that works, and you think about the trade offs, you know, um, you know, even the even to your point, I think it's you know one of my. I have a lot of amazing memories, like I said. I mean, really, I wouldn't trade any of it. But um, I got to visit with one of the groups that came over from Asayakawa. And, um, you know, it was so, I mean, how great that they came to the United States and they experienced Bloomington Normal in McLean County, right? So, you know, the richness of of that and um, how great that we can send students there to experience the richness of that country. Yeah, yeah. So if I uh, I wasn't paying attention at the time um, to local politics. Yeah. But what I've heard is that that period, 2008 to 10, 11, somewhere in there, there was a real need to readjust priorities and finances to try to cope with the the housing crisis. What comes to mind when you think about that? Was that when David Hales came in? When you were on, was he already there when you got on council, or did, did you hire him? He was just he was just coming in when I got on council. You know, there was okay. a lot of really interesting things that had just transpired. I, 
you know, the um, election cycle, you know, that I was elected in, my first election, I was unopposed. And that was the first election cycle after the Coliseum was built. Oh, okay. And yeah, so, that was kind of a bloodbath um, for the people who voted for it, right? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a really difficult. It was a really difficult time, and I think everyone who voted for it lost the next election, right? Yeah. Yes, and so you know, it was a time where there had been an erosion of trust, you know, in in city government for all sorts of reasons. Um, where it was really before, prior to, um, you know, the, the, the video, the meetings being live-streamed and the website being more accessible and, and some of the things that we've seen in more recent years, I would say it was kind of the tipping point, right, for um, more, more openness and more transparency, which was overdue at that point. So there had been an erosion of trust, and there had been a lot of turnover not just on the council, but to your point, you know, within the administration and and so on. And so it was a rebuilding, and it was also, it was a challenging period for sure. And it's not easy to rebuild trust, whether it's in a city government or in, in a household or at an organization. You know, that is never an easy undertaking. Ten plus years later, the arena is still held up in that way by those who do still feel betrayed. Absolutely. Uh, it definitely doesn't help that there was a, you know, that a property tax increase after that, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then city finances got rougher, even though our houses held pretty well. Yeah. There still was a hit there with that. Definitely not meeting growth projections anymore. And uh, combined with that, the ever-increasing uh, reduction in sales tax with pe- more people going online. And so it's, you know, they, they spend money on these big projects and then they just keep raising my taxes to, you know, fill their coffers. Uh, that it's, it's, one can fill the dots on, one can connect the dots on that pretty easily if that's kind of their, their perspective and they don't have that trust, right? They, they ultimately think that the people in charge are out for, um, I guess that's something I, I don't really quite understand is what people think that the motivations for those who don't have trust or faith in the in the uh, elected officials. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm not sure what they believe their motivation for being on council is. I guess some people just like power. They like to have be able to make decisions that affect people. But I mean, you put in so much time for so little money. It seems like. If, if that's your best way of getting power over people, you should probably, you know, rethink your, <laughs> rethink your techniques. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do, do you ever do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, why people just have that distrust of the elected officials? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we're living in a really interesting time right now. I think that there are a lot of things, you know, when you look, you don't have to look very far to see a lot of things that could cause you to question yeah. what you're seeing. And I think at the end of the day, it just really tests a lot of people, uh, tests all of us, right, in terms of, you know, how am I going to approach this life, right? Uh, you know, not to get too conceptual or too philosophical here, but it, it really just comes down to, I think, for all of us, we are being to some degree tested every day to say, you know, am I going to approach this situation 
through a lens of positivity and through a lens of you know, love and, and belief and possibility, or am I going to approach the situation through fear and, you know, through a lack of trust? And I think, honestly, you know, it's sometimes feels easier, at least at first, to subscribe to a philosophy of fear, philosophy of lack of trust. There's a lot of people out there for whom they have pretty good reasons, whether they're local or on a state level or a national level, they have a pretty good reason to look at the world that way. And so it's about stepping back and just really challenging yourself. And I think, you know, what I, for me, it's been a journey to say, you know, am I going to continue to look around me and see possibility? And am I going to continue to roll up my sleeves and do what I can um, to, to try to put those ideas, make, you know, turn them into something? Um, and am I going to see you know, am I going to see the sunshine or am I going to see the rain? I mean, I think it's really that simple. Yeah. I think that local politics just provides a kind of a, a venue, right, for that to play itself out. And so we, we, we see the very same types of behaviors, you know, in our... Well, in know, our jobs, do every area of our life that, absolutely. that dichotomy exists. And yep. if you're if you're fooled enough or taken advantage of enough by one group of people, then even if it's a completely different set of people, you're going to learn a lesson from that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I like the way you described that, though, of, um, I can't remember the exact words you said, but, you know, you like, you have a dream you're trying to, or you have a vision or a hope that you're trying to materialize. And that's, um, yeah, national politics, you've got liberals and conservatives, right? And you can, you can see that at the local level to some degree, but I really see more in my mind, buckets of, um, like, people who are trying to build things and then people who are trying to criticize things. Mm-hmm. And and both parts have their role, because um, if you're just building with abandon without caution, then that's a problem. Um, but if you're just criticizing with, with abandon, then that cynicism will impede you from being able to do anything. And that's—so uh, my nature is to kind of prod people. So when I see the big dreamers, I try to— prod them to bring them back to reality a little bit. When I see the overly critical people, I try to ask them, okay, that, you know, I understand you recognize what's wrong. So what do you think would do to make it, you know, make it better? Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about the local levels, you can have that conversation with the people that are making the decisions, right? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So, uh, one last question on this, and then we'll we'll stop geeking out on uh, local politics stuff because we're trying not to make this a politics podcast, but I just find it so interesting that I keep getting into it. Um, so you were on there for a term and a half. You decided to step off. Um, what was the motivation for you uh, stepping down from that? So yeah, great question. So, yeah, I was I was very uh, fortunate to be reelected in 2013. And I served until February of 2014. At that point, I was going through a divorce and oh. I was looking for another place for myself, um, to live. And so actually I live in normal now. Oh, you do? So, okay. yeah. So I, I, um, was really, uh, you know, I think most people know, I know you know this, but when you serve on the Bloomington City Council, it's a ward-based system, so you live within the geography which you represent. So at that point, it was just, you know, I wanted to look a little bit more holistically at the community for a place to live and wanted to just create the flexibility for myself and my family to do that. So went ahead and, and resigned from the council. 
it was uh, it was a difficult decision for sure, but it was also a really good time for me to focus on on myself and yeah, focus that, on my family. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so you didn't want to be one of the. 85 people running for a normal council this year? <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, I, I love living in normal, and I loved living in Bloomington. Um, I really look at the community like Bloomington, normal, McLean County. You know? yeah. it's, um, I'm, I'm a runner, walker, biker, and I think, I think there's a lot of people around here that do one or more of those things. And what, I, you know, I, what I'm always amazed by is you, know, you, can, you can set out on the Constitution Trail, right? And you can, you can start in Bloomington and go to Normal and go back to Bloomington, or you can start in Normal and go back to Bloomington. So you know, I think it's really interesting so many of us cross, you know, yeah. live in one, work in another, um, you know, eat, eat down the street, um, you know, work out over across town. Um, I just, it's such an interesting idea to me sometimes when we, whenever we see ourselves acting separately or living Mm -hmm. in those silos of one community or the other, you know, I'm just always reminded how easy it is to, you know, you can go on a couple mile run and pass back and forth a couple of times. So, you know, um, I love living in normal. Like I said, I, I live, um, I live just a couple blocks from campus and from uptown in, in in a hundred year old house that I'm absolutely in love with. And, um, I, I'm really proud of what the town of normal is doing. I had an opportunity a couple years ago to be on the 2040 vision committee. And Mm -hmm. to your point earlier about really being able to shape the vision for our community, um, we get, you know, I think it's, it's amazing that we have two communities and a county that goes out of their way to find out, you know, what people that are living here want to see. And I was on the group. It was a t- tremendous group of people. Yeah. Dave Shields was um, on there. Right? Yeah. 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 That's, how I, that's how I got to know Dave. Okay. Yeah. 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 So um, it was an amazing, diverse group of people just representing, you know, all different parts of the mm-hmm. community, all different points of view. And um, so I really, I'm, I'm really thrilled with what the town of Normal's doing. Really, um, Yes. In the last 20 years, there's been a lot of change. I've been, yeah. I came here in 2003 to okay. ISU. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, uptown, the transformation of uptown yeah. is, uh, is pretty remarkable. But it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. And I would say I, I thought that when I was on the, you know, when you're on the Bloomington Council, right, you're, you're looking north and when all the things we've talked about tonight in terms of some of the challenges that we were facing and you're looking north and you're seeing your neighbors, you know, kind of put the shovel in the ground, right? Yeah. And some of the tremendous um, improvements that were happening at that very same time. And, you know, I have talked to a lot of people that fundamentally believe in Uptown, and I've talked to a lot of people that fundamentally don't believe in Uptown. Yeah, that's pretty much um, what the election's about this year. It, it is. And you know what? At the end of the day, I believe that Uptown is an example of what if a group of people working together develop a shared vision mm-hmm. and decide to take responsibility for that vision, decide to steward that with discipline and have support, you know, of the community. Uptown is a really good example of what can happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
the example I like to give of how blended the city and the town are is that this place we're recording now. It's Play Normal Esports and also Normal Gadgets. And it used to be over by the Best Buy, and it was called Normal Gadgets. And it never crossed my mind that that was actually Bloomington. Uh, it just seemed very natural. Oh, they're normal. They're normal gadgets. And they've moved here now. They're, we're over, like, by the... Um, on the French Road by where Denny's and Red Lobster is. So very clearly in Bloomington now, but been in Bloomington the whole time, just normal gadgets. Uh, we get your gadgets back to normal. It just was catchier for them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I've lived in both, and uh, they are really one community, uh, different feels, different priorities uh, for, you know, the demographics and the types of challenges that they have. But it's uh, it's something else that I like about living here is that there are these different spaces that are there's a an overlap and a sameness to them and but there's also a distinction there too yeah that's really well said we're going to go into our ad here real quick but first we're going to do a little lightning round so i've got a few words related to things that we had talked about and i'll give them to you and you can just say uh, whatever comes to mind when you think of those sound good great all right leadership mclean county excellent perspective okay the way you looked at me was like, what is that? And I was like, I thought you said you were in it. <laughs> okay, excellent perspective. For, uh, downtown Bloomington. Land of possibility. Uptown normal. My kids love it. I love it too. Municipal elections. Really important and really grateful to the people that have their names on the ballot. And the people that vote. <laughs> <laughs> All 10% of us. Um, the arena. We'll find out. Public art. I love it. And Constitution Trail. One of my favorite things. Okay, well, we'll be back in just a moment with Jennifer McDade. Something everyone should know that's going on over on El Dorado Road is Camp El Dorado in the summer. That is open source classrooms, makerspace. Cook Suwon Martial Arts Studio and Play Normal Esports. They're coming together for a great set of activities for your kids. There are three different sessions in June and July, and it was $600, but if you sign up early now, they've dropped that price to $499. That is a steal for four days of fun for your kids during the summer. For more information and registration, go to www.osc3d, that's Open Source Classroom 3D.com slash summer camps or just search for Camp El Dorado. Okay, we're back with Jennifer McDade. A couple things from the lightning round that you said you loved were public art in downtown Bloomington. And that doesn't surprise me because you actually own an art studio in downtown Bloomington, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? I would love to. Thank you so much. So I... I think I mentioned I live in a hundred year old house. Mm-hmm. And so I've been um, always fascinated. I love flea markets. I love used bookstores. I love vintage shops. I love thrift shops. I love picking up junk off the curb. Mm-hmm. And I love my house. I love having every object, you know, has a story, has a meaning. And so about um, in November, I opened Elemental Market and Art Hive. It's a vintage market and an archive, and okay. it's in downtown Bloomington. So it's got El- Elemental Market? Elemental Market. Okay. An archive. It's on the 400 block 
of Main Street. Okay. What's it by? Downtown. It's just north of Coffee Hound. Okay. Um, All right. In downtown Bloomington. I spend a lot of time at Coffee Hound. Yeah. <laughs> so it's in a <laughs> it's in a really um, interesting concept. It's called Space 417. Okay. It's actually located at 415 North Main in downtown Bloomington. And Space 417 is itself a really neat use of space in downtown Bloomington. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was on the council, I was a huge um, advocate for downtown, ambassador for downtown, was on different task forces and, and always just really involved with the downtown community. And so I, I lived in, you know, so now I live in this old house, right? I've been going out to Third Sunday Market, and have um, it's out at the Interstate Center uh, from May to October on the third Sunday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's a flea market. It's a flea market, vintage market. It's amazing. Um, um, Over 100 dealers from not just all over the state, but really all over the region. And it's one of the best um, for those that are into antiques, flea, vintage, used items. It's, It's just one of the best that I've ever seen. And so I, I started out there as a vendor um, midsummer and really loved being outside, visiting with people that would come through and really started to gain a following. Um, I had a lot of items that, you know, I had in my house that I used for decorating or items that I had picked up um, when I was out on trips and, you know, going to thrift stores and flea markets and things like that, um, do a lot of estate sales. And, you know, so I had a collection, and mm-hmm. I started to take that collection out and and sell it. And I was uh, having so much fun that one day I was downtown visiting another friend who has a space up in Space 417. Okay. And I was just overwhelmed by... The, the 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 space it's it's you know it's just it's so cool it's innovative the concept is um, the Mike Mana who is the developer and landlord he took the second floor of two buildings these buildings themselves are over a hundred years old and he has um, developed eight suites on the second floor so we're upstairs from downtown okay. um, or from street level rather and. So we're you know, kind of perched up there, looking out second floor, looking out over Main Street. And the space that I'm in is on the front of the building. So I have four windows that are, you know, nearly floor to ceiling, mm-hmm. exposed brick, beautiful floors, nice. plaster walls. Um, he not, left Not a strip mall, in other words. Not a, not a strip mall. He, <laughs> he left as much of the old, um, one of the buildings was Miller's Music. And um, the others had multiple uses, and he left as much of the original character of the building as possible. And where he had to, you know, replace, he was really um, a good steward of his materials. So, um, you know, what's really interesting about the space is uh, at this point, so there's um, the space I'm in is actually two studios, so there's seven total mm-hmm. kind of micro. It's really like a micro business, you know, right? Okay. So. Um, you know, you, you have, I think, almost all of us, if not all of us, that are up there. So there's actually seven um, spaces up there that are, it's fully in use. 
And we are all doing these, you know, micro businesses um, in addition to something else that we have in our life, right? Okay. Um, whether that's a family, another career, um, both of those things, <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, but you have a full-time job other than this, right? I do. Okay. I do. So this is really, for me, it's really a passion project. It's really, I call it a sustainable hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that's the case for for most of the entrepreneurs that are up there. It's really interesting. We're all women. Um, that was not, you know, that was not part of the, the design, <laughs> right? It's not a zoning um, thing. It's not, yeah, it wasn't zoned that way. <laughs> um, it, but it's just worked out that way. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting collective of people and what's really interesting is this space would otherwise you know it certainly could be residential space right there's a lot of residential on the second and third floors in downtown Bloomington but I think this is one of the kind of first commercial uses of that space and um, what are some of the examples of other businesses yeah yeah so I want to hear more about yours too yeah I'm kind of curious about this well yeah I think it's great because that's that's part of it right is this idea of it being a collective Um, and and being a business owner in a collective it's kind of that's also really interesting I'll I'll mention that you know so we we have um, some individuals that do life coaching. So in, um, there's a really interesting space called Learn to Thrive. It's uh, That space is actually available um, for, there's a Kirsten Zona does life coaching out of that space. And then she also has that space available for use for rent. Okay. Um, so it's a really interesting space for artists, for um, collaborators, if you wanted to host a retreat, that space is available, um, and and it's just remarkable. Yeah, there are um, a couple of um, there's a studio up there where they they make jewelry and sell jewelry there. There's a a, a studio where you there are two artists that share the studio, so um, a little bit more of a you know kind of a traditional type studio use. Mm-hmm. There is a photography studio, Jessica Worland huh. Photography. It's an amazing, um, she's a birth and family photographer and documentarian. Okay. Um, there's another art um, type business called the Little Art School, which does um, kind of a little bit more academic type programming around art. I had no idea um, all this was going on up there. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. Huh. Yeah, and then another another woman named Sarah Nannan that has an amazing um, kind of international practice um, related to grief and grief okay. coaching. So, um, yeah, I think that's everybody. We, you know, what's what's been fascinating is just to evolve as a collective. So, you know, there's... We share the front door and we share all the common spaces and mm-hmm. we've, you know, um, you know, owning a business is for all of the people that are listening that have ever, you know, thought about it or done it. It's, um, it's a total blast and it's also a lot of hard work. Yeah. And so, um, what's been really interesting about it in this, in this case is, you know, this is not necessarily just, you have, you know your your front door is is yours it it's ours so you know we work collectively to figure things out we've had um you know we we get together as a group and we communicate you know we have a facebook group private group that we Mm -hmm. we we have to talk a lot just to be sure that you know what you want to do and what i want to do you know they don't have to be the same but we need to we need to work together yeah that's interesting it seems it strikes me that 
It overcomes one of the downsides I hear people mention sometimes about being an entrepreneur is that it can be very lonely because yeah. you don't have any coworkers, right? Yeah. Especially if you're a sole proprietor, you're just working all day. I've got one friend who's a painter. I'll give him a shout out. Mad Bean Painting, um, Carl Rademacher. He uh, he did our house several times, uh, and you know he just. He owns his own business, works by himself, spends all day painting. Yeah. Um, he does more artistic things, too, but he paints houses like mine to pay the rent. And then we were talking with another friend at church who's a um, firefighter. And so he's with his, you know, his colleagues are like family. They spend, you know, 12, four, I, I don't know, I can't remember how many hours, at least 12 hours a shift together. Like, yeah. Or I think, I think it was like 48 hours together or something crazy. Anyway, they spend a lot of time together and, you know, they cook together and they're all hanging out and they're just extremely close and they rely on each other to save their lives and things of that nature. And we were contrasting the differences in those work experiences. But if, if somebody wants to start a business and wants a kind of a support group and a collective and some people to, you know, talk things over with. That's, that sounds like a cool little collective that you have there. Yeah, it's, it's been great. And I think what's one of the things I love about it and it fits really well with, you know, the, the whole idea, you know, behind elemental Vintage Market and Art Hive is that all of our objects, you know, we spend our whole life, right, kind of like amassing objects. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting, right, because there's... Yeah, so tell me about um, yours. Sorry, I got off on it. No, that's there, good. That's it all. No, it, actually, I'm going to uh, connect this back to the collective, too, which is, yeah. you know, um, what I love about how the space is being used and what I love about how I use the space in, in, in my business, which I'd love to talk about is, you know, I think it's, again, we we spend so much time and energy on our objects. And I think even it's, you know, right now, like with Marie Kondo, right, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I've watched a couple of episodes, and I know a lot of people that have had such a meaningful experience just by kind of going through their objects and figuring out what really matters to them. Yeah. And so that's... For, um, for people who haven't heard of her before, is that... I think my wife was doing it where you, like, pick something up and say, like, does this bring joy does to my life? Does this bring me joy, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you fold it in the cute little, if it's, like, you know, your jeans or your top, you fold it in the cute little fold and stand it upright in your drawer. Uh-huh. Yep. And, you know, all joking aside, like, it changes people's lives, right? Because we, we spend so much energy on our stuff. And the thing to bring it all the way back to the collective and what do I love about that collective and what do I love about Elemental Here's what I love about it is that that space that's now thriving and vibrant and coming to life, right, through these, you know, seven micro businesses that are up there would otherwise be maybe not used. It wasn't being used prior to, you know, Mike, mm-hmm. you know, bringing it back to life, right? And I think it's so amazing to think about, you know, the just really a sustainable downtown, right? Um, I feel like it's a turning point for downtown where we're, we're talking about micro-business and we're talking about entrepreneurship and we're talking about the, the just the energy yeah. and the vibrance of that in this really neat concept in a building that otherwise might be dark. Mm-hmm. And 20 years ago was dark, right? 10 years ago, that floor was dark. A year ago, I think that floor was dark. And so when you just think about that's the same thing in the, in the vintage market, Elemental Vintage Market, one of the, th- my, probably my very favorite thing, are the number of people that come through the door and say, 
my grandma had that, or I used to play with that at my cousin's house, mm-hmm. or, you know, I this object, I've seen this object before. So and explain, is it a, um, so I knew it as a, uh, we met because my son came to an art hive event yeah. that you did. So I pictured it more like an art studio, but the way you're describing it, it's almost like a, like an antique market. So kind of paint the picture to me. Yeah. Of, I, I think I don't understand what you do. Tell me what you do. It's both. It's <laughs> okay. both. You're right. right. You're right on both counts. Okay. You're right on both counts. So there, um, so the space is, uh, about two and a half rooms mm-hmm. and about half of it is this vintage market okay. full of delightful objects. And these are things that you um, just collected that or come across That I've collected, that I've life. come yeah. across, mm-hmm. that people walk in and have an immediate connection with. Uh, it's a great place to find a gift, a, you know, something really unique that you can give. Okay. Or, um, and, you know, we have books, we have housewares, we have furniture, we have... We have magnets. We have, you name it. Um, we have all of these amazing items that are living their second, third, fourth life. And then we have the art hive. Mm-hmm. And so art hives, art hives started in Canada about 25 years ago. You can actually go to arthive.org and learn all about art hives. And there was a college professor in Canada about 25 years ago that really believed in art and community and the power of art in building community. Mm-hmm. And so art hives are essentially community spaces to make art. And most art hives um, share some common elements as Elemental Art Hive does. I started to do some research when I wanted to, you know, open Elemental. Um, and the vintage piece, like I said, I've you know, kind of been into that for a while and I wanted to do something in downtown that was, you know, family-oriented. As I mentioned, I have two, um, two children, 12 and 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And I really believe in, um, you know, just different kinds of experiences for kids. I think that, you know, and I don't also believe that you have to be an artist or believe that you're an artist. I think we're all artists, actually. Yeah. But I think the ability to find your creative self is so important. And I think it's also a way, you know, the, so, so, so some things art hives have in common is most of them are powered, as ours are, by um, used supplies. Okay. So it's all about reuse, sustainability. It's all about, so what we do is we take donations. So if you're, you know, if a lot of, People that have, you know, maybe your kids have grown up and aren't using their art supplies anymore, right? What you can you can box that up, you can bring it down, and we sort that all out and we redisperse it. Uh, we also use a lot of um, like recycled objects to make art, right? So whether that's clothing, whether that's material, fabric, whether that's an old book, um, you know, it really could go on and on, mm-hmm. um, and so. Art hives use those recycled materials. Art hives believe that everyone is an artist, that everyone has an ex- something to express. So you can come around the table with people that you do, you know and people that you don't know, and you can take on the challenges of your community, the possibilities of your community through art. Mm-hmm. And also art hives can, they can exist in the physical space like 
you know, where we are in North Maine. And then they also, we can pack that up and we could take it over to the farmer's market. We could take that over to another community center. We could, you know, so you could have this idea of kind of a pop-up somewhere. So it's a really fascinating idea. I loved it. Um, as soon as I fell in love with that, as soon as I found out about it, mm-hmm. and there's about 160 art hives all over the world, so we are one of three in the state of Illinois. Okay, and just really excited to bring that concept um, to Bloomington Normal. Yeah, that's really neat. I love that message because that's something that with the art instruction that I had growing up, that as I look back, any like, um, what would I say? The message I received is that you needed to be a very talented artist in some sort of specific technique in order for you to be really considered artistic. And mm-hmm. so I got the message as a someone who is talented in math that it's like, oh, you're just not artistic. Mm-hmm. You should just stop trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, I wish that I could go back and reframe that question right to be more how are how are you creative yes little tyson yes show me the ways that you're creative and then let's do more of that because i am mathematical and analytical like i i find you know geometric shapes like mc escher once i discovered him in high school i was like i love this i couldn't get enough of him um i lived in the netherlands where he was from so there was a museum we could go to i was like you know i I went there several times and just loved it and because his shapes are so geometrics and tessellations and messing with perspectives and i i loved that kind of thing and uh so maybe like realistic painting wasn't the thing that i wanted and uh, my son, who you met, is, yes. he's very artistically inclined, and I want to make sure that he, he doesn't get the same messages that I get, you yeah. know? Um, so that's my oldest one. My, my middle one, he's more, like, utilitarian, I would say. But he also had a great experience at the Hive because yeah. he just had an idea of, like, he wanted to make a pillow. Yes. That's all he wanted to make. And it was just like a red pillow. I think it's shaped like a heart and has a J for his front first name on it. And that's all he wanted. And so someone might say, well, that's not artistic. That's just a heart-shaped pillow. But he made it, and he loved it. We had a someone come spend the night on Friday, and it was one of his brother's friends. But when they were getting ready for bed, he brought his pillow, and he was like, this is my special pillow, and you can sleep with it if you want to. <laughs> That's amazing. So Thank even, you for telling me that. Yeah, even the, like, you know, kind of non-artsy, more rational kid is still creating something that he is proud of. Yeah. So I, I think it's just awesome message of empowerment and, oh, just affirmation that you're that you can do something, that you can make something. Back to the earlier conversation we Absolutely. have, right? Like you can you can dream something and you can make it if you try. Absolutely. I thank you so much for telling me that yeah, story. You're welcome. I was delighted to meet your family in the archive. And I think that, you know, so we do a couple of things in the archive. So one thing we do is open it's called open hive. It's kind of like open gym, mm-hmm. and we do it. We do it most Saturdays, and then at, at other sometimes on other days. And what what that is is it's a ninety minute session where you come in and you pay ten dollars a flat fee. So it's also designed to be hopefully pretty accessible for people. It's pretty affordable, 
and that it covers your cost of all of your supplies. And you're basically, you know, you're in a room for those of you that haven't been there, right? So you're in the middle of a room that you're surrounded basically on four sides by, you know, shelves with different baskets and boxes on them that are labeled with all sorts of different supplies and things that you might need to make art. And during the open hive, there's very little instruction provided. I'm, I'm there and, you know, I always have a couple of ideas. Sometimes people need a little bit of a warm-up activity. You know, they'll sit down and feel a little overwhelmed. So I'll say, you know, why don't you make a bookmark? Or, you know, I might suggest something just to get people started. But a lot of people don't really need any mm-hmm. anything to get started, like your son, for mm-hmm. example, and both your sons. And then they just spend 90 minutes creating. And, and what's amazing, what's just fascinating is to see what they come up with. And you, you know, so you, you choose from all of these materials and and you can make something. We also do classes. So most of our classes are one hour Mm -hmm. and um, sometimes our, our, we have a little longer classes. I'll give you a couple of fun examples of classes that we've done. Um, So we've done, we did a whittling class a couple weeks ago. Someone, um, I actually met, I met him and his family in the art hive and found out that one of his talents was whittling. And so he came back and taught a whittling class. He did an amazing job and it was a beginning class. Um, another friend of mine at work, you know, to your point, you, you find out about people's amazing talents, right? So a friend of mine at work, um, he offered to teach a class on a vintage lamp rewiring. So how many of us have picked up a lamp at a garage sale or, you know, a a thrift store or something? We love the lamp, but maybe we don't want to plug it in because we want to be sure it's, you know, it's, it's safe and ready to go. So in addition, in his background, right, he's, he's been trained as an electrician. And Mm -hmm. even though he's not using that in his work every day, he he loves teaching others how. So we had everybody come in. We had lamps. We had some lamps that were um, like great grandmother's lamps, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. were themselves almost a hundred years old, and we rewired them. Uh, so those are just a couple examples of the types of classes that we do. And then we also do, we host, you know, special events. We host birthday parties. We host, you know, small group events or um, any other kind of social event where, you know, sometimes you want to bring a group of people together. And it's a great way to connect, you know, over a project or something like that. I think one of the things that makes us unique is that we are really just grounded in the creativity. Um, I love what you, the question, how you frame that question. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you creative? And so what you're going to see at Elemental Art Hive is not necessarily, you know, sometimes we might be inspired by Pinterest. You know, we might see something on Pinterest and take from it some inspiration. Yeah. But it's not, you don't see projects walking out the door that look necessarily like, you know, a, a, a Pinterest or Instagram, um, you know, picture, yeah. right? You see something that's, you know, that, 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 person, that person is exactly, they've, they've handpicked all of the materials for that. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't necessarily trying to, you know, um, not that there's anything wrong with, with Instagram and Pinterest, you know, I use those things and, yeah. and find a lot of enjoyment in them, but you know, Normally in the art hive, you're not necessarily trying to replicate, you know, something. You're really there to make something that's original um, and something that 
you walk out the door, you know, for the most part, you know, your, your story about your son with the pillow. Um, I have just, I, I love, I love being there. Yeah. You know, I won't even say I love working there because it, it really doesn't feel like work. I love being there. Yeah, sustainable hobby, you said. So it yeah. brings in enough money to pay for itself. And yep. that's pretty much all you need. Yeah. Yep. My son, as we were talking about before we turned the mics on, he made a pair of pants. He calls them his art pants. They've got, um, I think they're like dress pants, but then they've got these stars glued onto them. And then he wound rope up in, tightly into these balls and, uh, glued them on different places and it's what he he wears them to bed a lot and he also wears them when he's like doing art to be extra creative and he just uh he really he really enjoys those pants um there's a song by jonathan colton called mr fancy pants so once i played that for him he was like i have fancy pants now (laughs) so anyway (laughs) that's amazing these have become very special objects that in, in our house that you helped them create Mm, thank you and uh as much as i wish i was the kind of dad who could design a space like that in our house you know we got we got three kids two cats a dog a job you know (laughs) trying to just keep some semblance of order in our house so the fact that there's a place he can go and and do that is is pretty neat i think we're gonna be uh, he wanted to have his birthday there actually uh we ended up we we're we're traveling during his birthday so we won't be able to this year. We'll be but, there next um, year. Well, yeah. I think maybe one of the other ones might want to go and do that, too. That so would be great. It's really fun. Well, one of my jobs I didn't mention there is mm-hmm. I do all the cleanup. So, okay. you know, to your point, I'm like, you know, I'm a parent, too, and I yeah. totally mm-hmm. get it, right? Yeah, our house is, it's, it sounds like our houses are really similar, and we're littered with laundry mm-hmm. and, you know, dishes, dishes. and yeah. that's normal. Right. We're all living that life. So one of the things that is part of the archive is the cleanup and I do the cleanup. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think when you, you know, when you when you bring your family in, you bring your kids in, um, you know, uh, if they're younger kids, um, you know, you, you create with them side by side. They usually need your help. If they're a little bit older, then, you know, you can you can create with them or you can, yeah. you know, just sit and enjoy the experience either way. But um, it's always I'm always um, happy to do the cleanup and people seem relieved that that's my job. Yeah. So you're you're downtown and you mentioned that that was something that was important to you to help do your part to you know, do a little downtown revitalization to pivot a bit more to that topic. Yeah. Downtown, something that's very important to me. Also, I, I think it's the more than anything else, something that makes a community a special place. It's downtown. There's other things clearly. It's not the only thing, but it's one of the main things. And I've been disappointed comparing to how much Uptown has done. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit disappointed about how little Bloomington's done. Yeah. So I'm curious as to your thoughts about what are the kind of what's the way forward for 
for Bloomington? What would you like to see happen as maybe short term and, and yeah. longer term there? That's a really good question. And I think, you know, I'm a huge downtown proponent. And, you know, one of the things I've found is that um, I think I've always kind of been that way to some degree. One of my very early jobs involved, it was a sales role. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually the role I moved here for. But I had a pretty big territory, and I and I would drive around um, in the territory. And so whenever I would go to a new town, I would look for that green business district sign, right, that leads you towards the downtown. Because I knew that that's where the interesting shops were. That's where I might be able to find something good for lunch, right? Mm-hmm. It was just a, that's where I, I knew that the heart of that community was going to be if I followed that business district sign. And I think that's the same thing here. I think the, I think we have amazing communities. I think we live in amazing, you know, I, I call it Bloomington, normal McLean County. Um, and I think it, the entire grand thing is, is wonderful. And I think that the heart of our communities are the downtown, the uptown. So I think, you know, I've asked myself of that question a lot. Um, one thing I will tell you based on my experiences when I was on the council and what I've seen now, and I say this completely independently of now being a downtown business owner myself, is that the downtown business owners are committed. Yeah. They are all in. And they've been all in for decades. So as I've always taken a step back and taken a look at this, this is not something necessarily to be solved on the backs of those downtown business owners because they are all in. No better advocates for downtown. No better people that understand the why behind downtown than those people. So put that off to the side for a second. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, something to be noted about downtown Bloomington and uptown normal, and others have said this, so it's not new, is that in uptown normal, you have a governing body that is truly representative of the entire community. So you have every individual on that council that has, you know, they're elected at large to represent the entire community. So they have equally a stake across the community, whether it be uptown, whether it be campus, whether it be the areas beyond uptown and campus, you see a vested interest. Take a look at Bloomington, on the other hand, and what you see there is you see individuals that are rep- elected to represent a specific geography, one-ninth of the city. And I think that that's an important point. I'm not saying that that explains everything, and I'm not saying that that should be a a barrier at all in terms of moving this forward. But what I think that means is that the council, um, who really needs to lead on this issue, and and, um, this is pretty consistent, I feel like, with what I was saying about 10 years ago, the council needs to lead on this issue, the council and mayor, and they need to do it intentionally because some of them are not necessarily going to be hearing a lot from their constituencies about how important downtown is. They're going to be hearing a lot from their constituencies about how important their subdivisions are, how important their connector roads are, and they are important. And we all have a responsibility to keep the the heart of the community, the core of the community thriving. So I think that's, that's, that's number one. I think the council and mayor needs to lead on downtown and I think that they need to realize, and I think many of them do, that, that regardless of their geography for whom they represent, that they need to come together and lead together on downtown. Yeah. I think that um, that's number one. Number two, I think that, 
you know, the downtown business owners I know over the years, um, and as I said, they're an all-in group of people. And I think they, um, what they, what they're doing a good job of and need to continue to do a good job of, and I've seen a lot of it in the last several months, is they need to kind of collectively, they need to be a collective and they need to work together. You know, there's a lot of different, different uses of, of space and everything downtown, but when it comes to advocating for downtown, that needs to be one voice to yeah. move it forward. I think another thing we can all do is, and like you're doing, and thank you, is to continue to talk about the exciting things that are happening downtown. I th- really think that's the third thing. I am, it's been really interesting, honestly, for the last couple of months with 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 the market and Art Hive to be talking to people about what I'm doing in downtown. And so they'll say, just like you said to me, well, where are you located? And I'll start to throw out different landmarks. How about the Coffee Hound? How about Neighborhood Thrift? How about Gigi Bottega? How about Main Street Yoga? You know, kind of going up the street. How about the Frugal's Thrift? How about Bob's Bay's Books? Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting to me is their faces, they just really seem curious, and they kind of start to light up. And the reason is that they had no idea that there was this much on one block of downtown. And it's just because in the years that they've lived here, for whatever reason, they've never had a reason to go there. So I think one of the things that we can all do is just keep talking about the exciting things that are going on downtown and the thriving things. I love telling people about First Fridays. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that don't realize that on the first Friday of every month from 5 to 8 p.m., you can head on down to downtown Bloomington, and there are maps available online and in person. And it, it there are at least 40 or 50 different places that you can stop just in those three hours with fun, usually family-friendly activities. And um, I think that's an amazing um, community asset and a great way to get out of the house, a great way to have a date night, a great way to have a family night, a mm-hmm. uh, great way to spend time with, you know, a couple of kids. So I think I think those are the three things. You know, I just think the council and mayor absolutely needs to lead on downtown. Yeah. And they need to realize that they may not always hear from their constituents about it. Downtown business owners need to work together and and speak with one voice. And I think all of us need to do everything we can to talk about those of us that believe in downtown, those of us that know how important it is, um, need to continue to bring others downtown with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are great points. I hadn't really thought about how the ward system might contribute to it, but that does make a lot of sense. There's really only a five and six who really have chunks of downtown, I think, if I'm remembering my map right. I think four might have, Ward 4 might have a little sliver yeah, of it. But, but yeah, definitely not nine or eight or and yeah. two. I'm also hopeful with the change in city management. You know, David Hales was really brought in to write the financial ship, and, you know, he's yeah. done that. Our finances are stable. Yep. But that's not somebody who has a vision for a downtown, right? Whereas Tim Gleason, he's got experience with that and it seems to be making it a priority with creating the economic development department and so I'm I'm optimistic I would love to see more of the painting of the electrical boxes myself yes. like more public art yes sidewalk painting building facade painting yeah. uh, crosswalks things like that just I don't I'm not convinced about normal 
that building these huge buildings is the right way to go. Mm-hmm. I get a little nervous about that. But, you know, investing in your infrastructure or opening up plans to beautify public spaces, uh, better lighting, you know, it, it just, it, to me, that that's just such a inexpensive and impactful sign from the city. So I'm, I'm hoping in the next four years we see some more of that. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree. I went to Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago for my kids' spring break, and downtown Cincinnati is full of public art, and they've really made a commitment to it. And that was a it was a big part of our trip. I mean, a lot. I mean, we we did a lot of you know of of attractions as well, but we spent a lot of time walking around downtown and looking at art. Yeah, on the sides of buildings, on the sidewalks, like you say, and so. Um, I agree. You know, Bloomington and Normal, as far as I'm concerned, I, I think you're right. Downtown and Uptown are very different. And, you know, if you think about it like a, you know, we're talking a lot about art tonight, right? So if you think about it like a painter's canvas, you know, what I see downtown doing is, you know, they're they're using the existing canvas and they're it's all about illuminating it, mm-hmm. to your point, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uptown's made a really different decision, and, you know, they've decided in many cases to kind of change the canvas, right? Um, and and so, you know, at this point, um, I, I guess where I land on it is um, it's it's interesting that there are two very different ways of doing it, right? You know, it's it's really any other community you would you would probably only, only have the uptown yeah. way or you'd only have the downtown way, right? Yeah. So I think that's something that's kind of interesting to think about. I mean, Champaign Urbana a little bit to some degree. Um, yeah. but even there well, it's Champaign Urbana and Savoy also in there too. Yeah, good point. They've got their different approaches and um, maybe allows our overall community if you view, you know, Bloomington yeah. Normal broadly, allows us to learn and experiment. And, um, you know, the arena is teaching lessons about being hesitant about the idea of a sport complex. I feel like Normal is much more enthusiastic about that than Bloomington is because Bloomington's gotten, gotten yeah. bitten so hard with that. Um, they're not necessarily the same thing, but just the idea of building a large complex, you know, you if, if Bloomington wasn't around... Normal might not seek as much information or, or learn as much about that before going forward, as an example. Absolutely. Um, seeing some of the resistance that Normal is getting to the Trail East building of tearing mm-hmm. down that mural may mm-hmm. give Bloomington pause if they're thinking about taking any other steps. And you can learn back and forth like that. So, That's a really good point. Yeah. Did you follow the downtown task force um, report or process at all? I did okay. follow some of it. I would say the, you know, the parts I was closest to, since I was living in normal and living in normal, you know, I probably was a little bit more removed, yeah. you know, but I, um, a part of it that I was really close to, I, I was appointed to the Connect Transit Board for okay. a couple of years and was really, um, it was a great opportunity. I was representing the town of normal on that. I ended up stepping away from that about, uh, about 18 months ago due to, you know, it was just, I had my, my job and the time of those meetings, it was just I've had more conflicts than I, I wanted to. Sure. And, um, and so I decided to step away from it. But so the, but to, but the task force report, right, there was a, that, that part in the task force report about 
the transfer station and you know the the potential for library expansion and yep. so on and so the catalyst project the catalyst called, project uh, tearing down the market street garage and building a combined parking deck transportation center and library in that location yeah 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 so that was the part of it that i was you know that i was clo- i would say i was closest to and um you know so i guess my takeaways there are you know uh, I think from everything I've gleaned about it, was it was a robust process. I think there was a lot of really good work done, a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment on the part of a lot of people, and so a ton of gratitude to all of those people. I think that, you know, um, at the end of the day, and this is not just the case with our in-local government, right? You see this at work. You see this at home. Um at some point, we have to try things, and you, know, you have to make a commitment to something, even if it's not perfect, even if you don't have it all the way figured out, right? That's what innovation is. Innovation is, this is an idea, I'm going to get started, and I'm probably going to fail, and then I'm going to probably keep trying, and then I'm probably going to fail again, yeah. right? And I'm not saying that the Catalyst Project should or should not have happened. What I am saying is this. I went to a meeting, there ended up being this meeting where the Connect Transit Board and the Library Board and the Council, you know, all came together with the task force to talk about that Catalyst project. And we were at the Osborne Room at the City of Bloomington Police Department. And at that point, I had, I think eight years earlier, chaired um, a council task force with the Library Board to talk about library expansion. And my takeaway is this, and this is what I'm talking about when I say with innovation and, you know, you just have to try and know you're going to fail and then keep trying and then fail and Mm -hmm. then keep trying, which is we were talking about the very same, I would say the frustrating thing about that night for me, and I think for some other people, was not do we do the Catalyst Project or not. It was what are we, you know, why are we not doing something? Yeah. It was, why are we sitting here, you know, eight years later talking about some of the very same issues that we've talked about, you know, and we weren't the first ones. This has been decades long in some cases. And so, you know, at some point as a community, we have got to, you know, and especially those decision makers, we've, we have got to empower them to make these decisions, stand behind them and support it, um, give them our feedback, give them our ideas on how to make it better. Um, but we have got to start moving some yeah. of this stuff forward. And, you know, in some cases, we're not going to have it all figured out um, before we put that shovel in the ground. And it's sometimes, though, th- there is an expense to waiting. There is an expense to not making decisions. There is an expense to saying no. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes gets lost in all of this. Yeah, both a financial expense and also an enthusiasm gap that that comes, right? People have been talking about the library in downtown for so long. I think there might be a perception that there's been a ton of money spent on these, but there's definitely been a lot of energy spent on them to to no visible consequence um, in most cases. And it makes it hard to keep going and keep being involved. Yeah, I thought that that Catalyst project was unfortunate from two respects. One, the the council was never going to agree to it, you know, whether they should have or not or whether it was a good idea or not. There was a lot of history, like you said, going on, a lot of feelings, um, a lot of relationships. And uh, and so I the library board like went first in the game of chicken 
and just somebody had to, right? Yeah, <laughs> So they went first, but then I feel like now they're being, they're being kind of blamed for it. I think the library just was the first one to, to, you know, recognize that it wasn't going to work politically, whether it was a good idea or not. So I thought that was unfortunate that it created animosity between those bodies and the library shouldn't be political, right? Like right. everyone likes the library. So why is it a political football? Yeah. But the other thing I thought was unfortunate is that it, it got all this media attention and all this attention at council meetings and this discussion. And, um, like, that was this massive multi-million dollar project. There were much smaller things that we could try. Absolutely. Right? To your point, like, could we just try we just something, try something. In this? And if that conversation yes. all hadn't have been around that, yes. maybe it would have been around painted sidewalks or, right. um, you know, like... Uh, Blocking off the street on first Fridays or, you know, just exactly. something like just put out some cones and right. see if having a walking street brings more people in on first Fridays for a couple of months. And if it doesn't, then don't do it anymore. Exactly. You know? yep. Just do some little stuff first. But that that shiny 20 million, 40 million, whatever dollar project was was, uh, you know, too much for people to turn their eyes away from. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a that's that's a phenomenal point. And just that ability to build that momentum. Right. The ability to, you know, to try it and get feedback on it and realize that, you know, nothing is permanent. Nothing is forever. All of this is, you know, let's just let's just try this. And if it's not working for a part of the community, we'll try something different. Mm-hmm. But I think we can't allow ourselves, you know, we can't allow ourselves to be held back from that. You know, we, we all, um, you know, there's a lot of common ground. That's the other thing. I mean, to your point about that meeting and that whole process, um, I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of the public, um, kind of discourse focused on the things that we did not have in common rather than the things that we did have in common. And I think anytime that happens and that happens a lot. And I think as human beings, we're sort of wired, that's our default, right? So we have to be really mindful of that. And I think if we can, you know, I, I'm not, um, I'm sitting here learned because I, and I'm saying this because I think I've learned this lesson over and over and over again, and I'm, and I'm still learning it, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. still in front of me, this lesson of any time I approach something from the point of view to say, what is different about the, us? What is different about this? Where don't we have common ground versus approaching something and saying, where do we have common ground? What can we build on? What can we do together? Where is the possibility here? The outcome's different. And how I feel about it's different, how I think about it's different, the actions that I take are different. So, you know, I just think that's something we could work on as a community, whether that means downtown Bloomington, whether that means Bloomington, whether that means Bloomington and Normal in the county, what's our common ground and how do we move forward? Where's the possibility? Where's the opportunity? And what can we do uh, to try to try something together and, and move that forward? And yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, we are we are out of time here. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Um, I I really enjoyed this as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, for your service over the years oh. and for thank investing you. in downtown and thank um, you. And, uh, also just coming in here and talking to me. If people want to learn more about um, Elemental Market, where can they go to find out about that? Yeah. Thanks for asking. So a couple of different places. So we have a website. It's www.elementalmarket and arthive.com. That's elemental, E L E M E N T A L, market and arthive.com. Yep. We're also on Facebook. 
Elemental Market and Art Hive and Instagram. And we're located at 415 North Main in downtown Bloomington upstairs. All right. And I'll put links to those in the show notes here. Great. So, um, so Jennifer McDay, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you so much. This was really an awesome experience. And thank you for being a local podcast. I think it's awesome. We, yeah. we haven't always had a local podcast here that yep, I'm aware just, of. Just so. started in November, so been, thank you. Been having fun with it. Yep. All right, and before we break here, we do want to thank our two sponsors, Little Beaver Brewery and Play Normal Esports. I guess I should say three sponsors: Little Beaver Brewery, Play Normal Esports, and Normal Gadgets. Go ahead and check out Little Beaver Brewery, another group of people who are investing in our community and doing great things, and of course play normal esports as you know you can come in here and bring your kids and have a great time in a safe environment to play some video games with people physically people still do that they play video games with each other physically and uh it's it's all that much more fun to be able to uh yell at your friend who's sitting next to you uh for i'm I'm learning terms for my kids there's a headshot that's a thing so yeah that's a apparently that's a good thing okay you can also brag after you do it so that's, that's great I did not know that. All these things. Keeping me young. Yep. And normal gadgets for all of your broken accessory needs, tablets, phones, uh, computers. Go ahead and bring them in and see what they can do with them. All right. And we are done. All right. Well, we're going to go into our break reel here. See, I told you whenever you there's like great. a whenever there's a part that is like more structured, then I start getting tongue tied. Okay, we're gonna go into our ad reel here. <laughs>